Computer, initialize Holosuite. Howdy, Star Trek fans, and welcome to Random Trek Review. This is the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name's Matt, and joining me is a replicant of my good friend Andrew. Uh, so don't expect us to be talking about any high security uh, matters today, because uh, we can't let the replicant know what's going on. Andrew, or replicant Andrew, how are you doing? You getting the cold shoulder at all today? <laughs> I feel like only a replicant would accuse somebody else as being a replicant. Also, you made the mistake of starting the episode off with Howdy, which Matt almost never does. So I almost wonder if this is a situation where uh, you are the one who has been replaced. And uh, it's unbeknownst to you, perhaps. It's very similar to the Deep Space Nine episode Whispers, which we just so happen to be looking at today. It's going to be a cold shoulder contest today on <laughs> RTR, so uh, exactly <laughs> could be an interesting podcast. No, it, uh, it's definitely going to be a good one back on Deep Space Nine, but I'm definitely not opposed to it. I was a little bit surprised this episode was uh, in season two, but it, of course, is the episode Whispers. Uh, you kind of did a really good job of this in a roundabout way. Uh, you had just mentioned off air that you, you kind of didn't really remember this episode at all. And it was kind of like seeing a new one, but, um, you did some, some nice, uh, stick handling as it were. And, uh, you came up with some good stuff. So you said that this was O'Brien and he was kind of getting these kind of like weird visions or, or, or nightmare kind of thing. And that things weren't quite as they seem. And that eventually the Bajorans would, uh, the wormhole aliens or the monks or something were going to kind of have an effect uh, on him and kind of help him navigate his way through here, um, which isn't quite true. But that part about O'Brien and kind of everything not being as it seems it is pretty much right on the money here. You, you kind of missed the back half of it and and the the conclusion, but you did do a really good kind of stab in the dark. And I think that that is going to score you uh, probably three out of five plates a fricandu stew, which uh, we'll have to wait and see if Matt actually takes a bite of it, because uh, if he doesn't, then it may <laughs> rouse some suspicions for sure. Did you put something in here? <laughs> Is there like a listening device? Homing device? Drugs, perhaps. Dr drugs? It could be anything. Who knows? But as Andrew mentioned, yes, we will be discussing Whispers, which is from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It is from Season 2, Episode number 14. It originally aired on February 6, 1994. And it has a few guest stars here. Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien. Todd Waring as DeCurtis. Susan Bay as Admiral Rollman. And Philip Lestrange as Kutu. It was written by Paul Coyle and Michael Piller, and it was directed by Les Landau. And in the off chance you didn't get a chance to watch it, I'll give you a quick synopsis here so you know what we're talking about. We start with O'Brien taking a runabout through the wormhole. He recites a personal log which chronicles some suspicions, suspicious happenings after O'Brien returned from the Paratus system two days prior. 
Everyone was acting strangely and seemed to be conspiring against him. It begins with Keiko giving him the cold shoulder, then Bashir insisting on performing his annual physical checkup. He is kept from working on security arrangements for the upcoming peace talks between the Parada government and a faction of rebels. Kira even interrupts while Brian starts asking Jake about what happened while he was gone. Keiko again acts strangely towards O'Brien, prompting him to delay dinner after he suspects Keiko has put something in his fricandu stew. O'Brien then pulls an all-nighter listening to station logs while he was away and is stunned when access to some of the logs are restricted. Odo returns to the station and O'Brien immediately enlists his help to get to the bottom of this. Eventually, Sisko and the crew confront O'Brien in ops and after a chase through the station, O'Brien steals a runabout and heads through the wormhole. This brings us back to the present. The crew is pursuing O'Brien to the Parada system. He loses them while in orbit of a large moon and is surprised when the crew beams down to one of the planets. He beams down himself and is shocked to find Bashir working on another O'Brien. The Parada rebels explain that they learned the Parada government kidnapped the real O'Brien and set the replicant to sabotage the peace talks. And then that's it. The episode ends. Okay, just quickly off the top, this is an episode I had only seen a handful of times, so I had virtually no memory of it when I watched through it again, so I'm, I saw this with pretty fresh eyes, which I think is kind of good because it's a very, there's a lot of mystery in it, and if you've already seen it, then you already know how it ends, it, it doesn't make it quite as enjoyable. So I, I saw this with very fresh eyes, I don't know about you. Uh, well, I had just recently seen this one. And it, it kind of brings up an interesting thing with regards to rating the episode when we get there. It's hard to really look at this one as being a great rewatchable episode. Because, like you said, once you know the big mystery and you know how it ends, maybe rewatching it again is interesting to see if there's any tells or if there's any kind of pickups or anything. But... I mean, for the most part, it's kind of like watching The Sixth Sense multiple times, you know? Like, once you know the big reveal, it's, yeah, it's it's good, but I don't know that it holds up necessarily after rewatch, rewatch, rewatch. You know, certain episodes you could watch again and again and again. This one, I don't know. This one, I feel like, is really good as, like, a one-off watch, but then multiple times, it's it kind of loses its luster, uh, but I do remember this one. Um, I remember it because I think it falls into the, you know, mess with O'Brien camp, which there are a lot of episodes in Deep Space Nine. Um, and I, I, for whatever reason, that kind of uh, final image uh, where we get kind of the both O'Briens really sticks out to me and is very memorable for for that reason. Uh, there is a little bit of interesting sort of development stuff uh, as far as the story goes. Uh, this was originally conceived as more of like a story where he has like amnesia. So he, the, the original idea was that he would wake up and no one would have any memory of him and Keiko and Molly would not even be there. And he would have to like sort out this whole like mystery of like, why does no one know who I am? And so I don't I, I think this story worked quite a bit better. Yeah, I, I kind of have like vague memories of of kind of similar things that we've already seen in the next generation. Um, not exactly like that, but definitely some that are similar. I mean, the one that comes to mind is the one where nobody can see Roe and the Forge. Remember, we did that one way back at the very beginning of the 
of the of the show with the next phase and stuff where they can't see them. Um, I feel like wasn't there one where uh, Doctor Crusher, uh, like people kept disappearing and and everyone just thought that it was normal run of the mill and then eventually it's like it gets down to the point where she's the only person left and everyone's kind of like looking at her normally like i kind of feel like we've seen things similar to that um and and maybe your vast star trek knowledge might be able to pull out a couple of other episodes but i don't know it seems like something i've seen before whereas this is very unique i think yeah, this is definitely a very unique, uh, very unique story. And yeah, you mentioned a couple of examples of, yeah, the one you mentioned with Dr. Crusher is hilarious because it gets down to her and Captain Picard. And so it's like they have this giant galaxy class ship and there's just the two of them and he acts like it's a normal thing. And it's just absolutely ridiculous, right? Two people on that giant starship. And there's even the point where, the, where she says, computer, how many personnel would it take to run this ship? And they're like, 800, 300, or 832 or something. And Picard's like, oh, yeah, that is kind of weird, I guess. <laughs> I thought we were just doing it, the two of us, you know? Like, that was pretty funny. But, yeah, I, I think that this is an episode that is uh, very unique, yeah, if nothing else. And I do think that I like it because of that amnesia. Uh, maybe it's not even necessarily that Star Trek has done that a million times, but sitcoms as a whole have done that a whole bunch, right? I, I think that's kind of one of those things that they go to the well to pretty often. And so uh, I, I didn't really need to see it here. Oh, no, it's definitely a unique story. And it's a very cool story. Uh, now, the other sort of part that I picked out was that it was when, once they sort of moved past this amnesia thing and started getting on to a, a, this more of what we end up with, it was also partly inspired by Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And it was intended to kind of be told from the point of view of the body snatcher yeah which is a great idea right like i i do love that movie and i actually thought that the remake that they did was really good too uh and so i mean it, it's a great idea to basically take the same the same core idea and just kind of flip it around and look at it it's almost um did you ever see that movie i am legend with uh, will smith i think there was also an older one as well but can't same idea right taking it from the perspective of like just slightly askewed and uh, makes for such an interesting story for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. This, it, it is definitely interesting to see it from the perspective of, you know, the, the replicant or the O'Brien that got the replacement O'Brien because he has no idea, right? He thinks he's the real, the real deal. And it made for a very interesting story uh, as we, as we see in this episode. Yeah. And I think that the other thing, not to kind of get too much into the, uh, you know, get into much into the episode. But one of the things that I do love is that they actually went the entire episode before you as the audience recognize that it's not the real O'Brien. And because we've seen it so many times where, you know, somebody's acting strangely and you see how everybody else interacts with it, you're kind of thinking like maybe there is something going on with everybody else and that this is the real O'Brien. And so by saving it till the very end and leaving you kind of in anticipation, they don't show you enough of what the, everyone else is doing. And so that leaves the mystery a, a lot better off. So um, did you remember the ending once you started watching it or, or not really? Not at all. No, I had no idea what the ending was. Okay. So you were actually part of like kind of that lucky, almost like a first watch. Yeah, like I said, it was with very fresh eyes because, I mean, the last time I would have watched this would have been at least four years ago, and I don't know that I had seen it more than one time before that. So 
I was very much in the dark, just like O'Brien was. Okay, cool. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I had just seen this one, so we're going to get a kind of an interesting, uh, you know, two different levels here. Well, let's dive right in. There's not really much else uh, as far as development goes, so let's just get right onto it. So uh, we get uh, O'Brien's on a runabout, and he's he's obviously running from somebody, but we're not really sure who, and... Um, I like this sort of ominous bit of it, and he doesn't really give us anything at the beginning. Just that, like he, it's very clear the way that he's sort of talking in his log, and how the, like why is he flying through the wormhole? That something is awry, and something is is not right. But we don't really know what it is at first. Just that he's sort of running away, and I like it. It's kind of it kind of reminds me almost of that Voyager episode where um that episode ashes to ashes where we get the alien that's being chased by another ship. And then she fly, you know, manages to get away from them. And then she's like, set a course for Voyager. And you're like, Whoa, what is, what is this? Like, what's going on here? Why does she want to go see Voyager? It's someone we've never seen before. And I, I got, I got kind of a similar feeling here that, you know, we've got O'Brien. He's like running away. Like what's going on. I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. And I was kind of expecting it to end there because uh, it seems like there's just that ominous note of mystery, but we actually do get a little bit more uh, on the teaser end this time, and we get a little bit more kind of information here before we hit the credits, um, which kind of makes for a little bit of a long teaser. I mean, by 90 standards, um, I feel like this was kind of uh, an interesting way to go about it um, and definitely intriguing. Like, I, I feel like it definitely keeps you wondering what's going on where is he going what is this place uh you know what's this all about i think that that part of it is done really well yeah and i like that they told the story uh in the form of like him recording a log sort of talking about what happened and then we see it and it's something they do i wouldn't say they do it a lot um but they do it has been done before the one the two examples i thought of and maybe you can think of others uh, is Doctor? There's an episode when Doctor Crusher with that Ferengi scientist, and Crusher. She's not recording a log. She's basically telling the story to to Guinan, but it's a pretty much the same thing. Um, and then there's that Voyager episode where Paris gets demoted. Yeah, that was the one I was thinking. Yeah, he's recording the the letter to his his dad to sort of explain what happened, and I I think it's kind of a a cool way to you know present a story. Is there any others you can think of? Slightly different, just because it's more of a correspondence, but there's that episode where Dr. Phlox is sending the uh, messages to his, like, I think a professor that he worked with, or like another doctor, and it's basically kind of told through his letters almost. Um, that's kind of a similar idea. Um, and that's kind of like, those are the, those are the kind of the ones that pop to my mind as well. But, um, I do like the idea because I mean, the log entry essentially was from back in the days of original Star Trek, where you kind of needed to catch the audience up. Like if they had come in halfway through an episode or something, or right after a commercial break, the log entries were just kind of that quick exposition. Um, and I don't know that you necessarily needed it at this point. So the fact that they're using it in like a creative way and, you know, and, and kind of showing how that process works um, is really cool. And um, one thing that we learned in this episode is that you actually have access to everybody else's 
uh, logs as well. Because there's that scene where uh, he starts like listening through them and it's like all just like boring stuff. And you can kind of hear the different characters uh, frustrations and stuff through the logs. And so it's really cool to see this process of not just him recording the logs, but you also like see him like listening to some of it back himself to try to get it squared away in his mind, which is, which is such a cool thing. Like even today, I don't think that very many people would record uh, journals like this. I think that, you know, you might have a journal that you write in by hand, but um, this has never really made it into like humans now, right? Like the technology exists. You could keep a, a verbal log if you wanted, but it's just not really something that anybody does. So it's really cool to see it here. Yeah, I like the I like using this as like a, a sort of a storytelling form. I think it's pretty cool. Now, I can't remember if this was before the teaser or right after, but he goes home. He, he goes back to his quarters, and Kate goes acting like quite suspiciously. She's up at like five thirty in the morning. She's got the Molly up, and she's like, "Oh, I gotta like go grade a bunch of essays at school," and it's like very obvious that she's something is amiss and, and O'Brien picks up on it right away. And then, uh, later on, I guess he like followed her <laughs> to where she was going. Cause he was, you know, so suspicious and she sees her, uh, talking to commander Cisco. So I guess this is where you really first see the people that he's accustomed to being around acting very odd, very differently. So do you, were you like kind of thinking like, I mean, I know you just watched it, but were you like thinking like, oh, well, what, what's going on here? Is everyone like conspiring against him or, or did you think he was maybe overreacting? Yeah, well, I think the interesting thing from watching it from a second viewing is just that now when I know the ending, I can kind of collect all the breadcrumbs. And so, you know, when I see Keiko and Cisco talking, I can kind of envision what they would be talking about. And I can kind of see that everybody's really uneasy, but it is actually that, you know, O'Brien is, is, is the missing one out. Um, and so it was actually really fun to do that. Um, what about you? At this point in the game, are you just assuming this is going to be another classic example where everyone is altered or it's the mirror universe or it is uh, something awry? Well, I was sort of on the fence. Like, it's like, okay, either something's up with O'Brien or something's up with everyone else. Like, it's one or the other, and I wasn't really sure which one. But I think because Keiko and Cisco were like he saw them talking, I was more thinking like, oh, maybe like something's up with O'Brien. But it was still undecided. It was like one of the two, I guess. And that was the last thing that we see before the credits, right? He kind of like tucks behind the wall, and that's that's kind of where the credits roll. Um, and I think that's the whole point, right, is we are left to believe which one is it, right? And because it's told from O'Brien's perspective, I think that inherently you are always going to feel as if that's the real one because it's from their perspective. And so you're only seeing that side of it. And therefore, you're more apt to believe that it is uh, O'Brien that's regular and everyone else must be replaced or whatever. All right, we come back and it's time for one of the like classic Star Trek tropes. It's time for his O'Brien's annual physical, which is rather convenient after, you know, his wife has sort of blown him off and then he sees her talking to the commander. And then, you know, the next day he goes to Ops and Bashir is like, you know, and it's of course it's second season, eager to please Bashir and he's 
he's like, okay, Miles, you got to come for your physical. It's time. You got to come and you got to come today. And O'Brien's like, oh, but I'm too busy. And the, and Cisco's like, well, make yourself not busy because you got to go. I don't know. We we see this a fair bit, but I mean, do you think it's overdone a bit? The whole like physical, you know, annual physical and having to be like dragged kicking and screaming, whether it's Miles O'Brien or whether it's the captain. Right. That old joke that it's like everybody hates to go and get the physical done. I, I feel like we just saw this, but it wasn't actually a crew member. It was somebody who was visiting. Remember, they wanted to kind of like prolong uh, one of the ambassadors or something. So they made him. That was Jameson. Jameson, Admiral Jameson. Jameson. Yeah. So I guess it was kind of like a crew person, but they made a special point to uh, go through the physical. Um, that being said, I do kind of feel like, you know, in this time period, the physicals don't seem nearly as bad. It seems like you like put on that little special outfit, you sit in the chair and they kind of scan you. And it's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't really think like it's necessarily as bad as what we currently go through. And it definitely isn't as bad as, you know, probably what people 100 years and 200 years ago went through. It was, yeah, interesting. Although there was kind of that one like throw off, which I wasn't really sure how to take. But the, the point where Bashir like reaches down below the screen and asks him to cough. Did you notice that? <laughs> I was like. Uh, yeah, I think I kind of saw that. Yeah. See, Destin for there. I think that you could probably do that with a tricorder, but, um, I mean, I guess I get the joke as well. Oh yeah. Like this was a hilarious scene too. the, uh, uh, this was like definitely before they were like, you know, you know, bros, right? <laughs> Cause, oh man, I, th there's so much in here. Like, uh, you know, Julian, uh, what was it that Julian said? He's like, He's like, I know, I know, Miles, you hate doctors. And Miles said, I have no problem with doctors. I just don't like you. You know, they were sort of at that stage of the friendship where they're, you know, antagonistic and they don't really like each other, or at least they don't think they do. But I think deep down they actually do. I just, I just found this scene was so funny. You know, Brian is the grumpy patient, the reluctant, you know, subject of this physical examination. And uh, the, I, I, I'm kind of disappointed in myself. Some of the funny lines I don't even really remember. Uh, but it was just, I just remember laughing through the whole thing. Right, yeah. Because, I mean, Bashir was giving it as good as he was getting it as well, right? Saying, like, oh, sense of humor is still there. And he's like, I don't have a sense of humor. Like, all those kinds of things. Um, the one thing I will say, just as, again, somebody watching it through, knowing the ending, this does kind of give it away. Uh, because it definitely indicates or leans to the fact that everybody thinks that there's something wrong with O'Brien, right? Just the fact that, you know, Cisco makes him go and, and then Bashir is, is so keen on doing it. It gives that impression like, Oh, okay. Like we're, Bashir probably does have something wrong because they're so keen to do this physical. Um, there wasn't enough suspicion on the other end, right? Like something to maybe show that, they were going to like put an implant in them or uh, do something that would, uh, you know, benefit uh, evil aliens who had replaced uh, all the other cast members. So, so I will say that part of it, just again, on a second watch, I'm like, oh, yeah, that kind of should have given it away a little bit more just because, again, it, 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 it makes sense that they would want to do a physical if something wasn't right with O'Brien. Well, and also from his perspective, like O'Brien's perspective, if they're like forcing him, it's like, 
what are they, why are they forcing me? What do they want to keep me away from? And they had pre, they had mentioned the like security arrangements and how O'Brien was like, Oh, I need to work on the security arrangements. They're like, Oh no, 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 don't worry about that. You need to get your physical and you need it right now. So that maybe points, you know, puts it in O'Brien's head that like, maybe the Paradas are like up to something and they've somehow gotten the crew all in on it or they've taken over their, their, their minds or something. So I don't know if it was necessarily a dead giveaway that it was O'Brien that was the one who was messed up. Right. Yeah, no, not a dead giveaway, but definitely a big clue, let's say. Uh, yeah, I, I think that I guess that's fair enough. And I mean, Bashir, Bashir seemed like he was trying really, really hard to find something wrong. Like that's like just the way that O'Brien like reacted. It seemed like it was a pretty intense physical so yeah i think the other thing too and it's kind of as the episode progresses but essentially all of the stuff that o'brien is working on ends up seemingly like somebody had sabotaged it to just keep him out of the way and to be working on the upper pylons that part of it seemed as well like well somebody i think he even says at one point like somebody would have had to dig in and break this on purpose um, otherwise it would never have happened kind of thing. So, um, yeah, there's there's lots of little clues, which, again, once you know the answers, it, it obviously becomes so clear. But um, just in terms of, like, writing, I think it's really brilliantly done because all the information is there, all of the clues are there. It's just a matter of whether you pick up on them or whether you accept them that actually turns out if you, you believe one way or the other, which is, I mean, excellent writing. Yeah, you you mentioned the upper pylons, and he was, like, incredulous. He was like, but I just fixed those. And, like, it's not possible that they couldn't be working. And they're like, well, they're not working, so you better go fix them. And don't worry about the security arrangements. Everyone else can handle that. Don't you worry. And, you know, that, and, and he was, yeah, that sort of raises your suspicions about, like, you know, he reacts that way and so strongly about, like, but I just fixed those, and they they should be working, you know? Like, he's pretty sure about that, and... I think at one point he even said, well, like, it's impossible that they're not working. Like, I fixed them. So, yeah, it definitely sort of cranks up the, the suspicion level on uh, O'Brien that they, they keep, they seem to be keeping him away from these, like, you know, delicate security arrangements. Definitely. And I mean, I feel like if I think back to my original watch of this, I was constantly going, oh, it's O'Brien. No, 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 it's everybody else. Uh, no, it's probably O'Brien, but it's everybody else. Like, I think I remember seeing this the first time and really bouncing back and forth between not really knowing which which it is, which I think is really great. Because sometimes with poor writing, you're like, yeah, it's obviously this or that. But this time, I think they did a really good job. Yeah, and one part that jumped out at me was when he was, like, walking along the promenade, and he's sort of casually chatting with Jake about, I think it was, like, a science project that Jake was working on. And, like, the moment that O'Brien is like, so uh, so what was going on around here while I was gone? Kira's, like, up on the upper level, and she's like, uh, Jake, your father's looking for you. And I was like, whoa, that is that is pretty convenient timing. Like, you know, that's when you start thinking that maybe it's the crew because that that's like, you know, they're keeping their eyes on him. And as soon as he starts talking about like what happened while I was gone, it's like, no, 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 we got to we, we can't have him talking to Jake Sisko of all people about what, what was what was going on while he was away. I think the other thing, too, is, is that at this point, the crew isn't 
they're not tight enough with their little white lies because at one point Cisco tells O'Brien the reason he was talking to Keiko was because gra uh, Jake's grades are slipping. And then, of course, when he runs into Jake, he says, oh, well, you know what? We'll help you get those grades up as soon as possible. And he's like, what are you talking about? My grades are great. And kind of like saunters off. And it's like, oh, so wait, maybe it is the crew because now we've kind of caught the crew in either a little white lie or they're not able to, or they don't know the, the real situation. So um, little stuff like that is, again, just kind of having you metronome back and forth between which one is which. Um, and I do love that Jake essentially kind of becomes the, I mean, until Odo shows up anyway, um, Jake is kind of like the only one that O'Brien trusts, right? And I mean, I guess maybe they never told Jake that this was what was going on or whatever. So he's just acting totally normal. And so uh, O'Brien believes like, oh, you know what? Jake is only other one not affected, which I think is really great. Well, he didn't tell Jake at least at first. He knew by, he, he knew by the end. <laughs> right exactly but yeah you're right it, he he does seem to be the one only one that o'brien feels like he can try to get information from and even but even still like you know kira's you know kira's got her eyes on on him and she's she stops him just in the nick of time so yeah you're right you do kind of keep going back and forth you know is it o'brien that's messed you know not in the right state of mind or is everyone else like do you know in on some trick or some conspiracy and i think that you're right that that's you know pretty brilliant writing to have you sort of bouncing back and forth between the two and not really being able to to figure it out one way or the other the first time through i think one of the other things too is that all of the camera angles and cuts and everything are all in support of o'brien and i know that you, know, you shouldn't use the camera angles and the zooms and stuff as rationale for for what to believe or what to think but um this next little section with the the poisoned well the quote-unquote poison stew the way that it's shot where it keeps like going back to to keiko who's doing like the shifty eyes <laughs> and then it goes back to o'brien he looks normal and it goes back and she's like oh you want to try that stew you haven't eaten a bite and it's like it seems so suspicious right um, and again, once you know the reveal, once you know the answer, you can go back and be like, oh, okay, I can see that they were probably trying to do this or that, or they had this plan. But again, when you're watching the episode, it's almost like the shifty eyed dog in Simpsons, you know, like it's, it's Rosalind Chow that's evil. Look at her eyes. You know, I think that that's, yeah, really, really well done. Well, yeah, the, the the scene was really interesting because like Keiko was almost was like anticipating like, OK, if he eats it, like what? I don't know if it was like they just put like a sedative in it or or what to just like knock him out so that they could then so he wouldn't be check him over. Yeah, exactly. So he wouldn't have a chance to, to do what he was ultimately sent to do. And then O'Brien's kind of looking back and he's like. Why is she looking at me like that? You know, like why she looks like she's up to something, and and it's it's interesting how you have someone who's like looks like she's tr you know Keiko's trying to get him to eat it, and he's like, but I don't think I should eat it, and then ultimately he sort of like picks at it a bit, and then he's like, you know what? I I guess I don't have much of an appetite. I'm just gonna go lie down, and then and then by the time he woke he woke up, she'd already like recycled it or whatever, so he he never knew if there was anything in it. 
Right. And we never find out either, right? It's all just speculation. I think that another thing that they did that was a little bit, I didn't catch it the first time, but the second time I did was that at the beginning of this scene, when he first shows up and it's revealed that Molly's gone over for a sleepover or whatever, O'Brien like starts cranking up the charm, right? And he's like, oh, Molly's away. Well, you know, I'll keep you warm and just like the replimat or what have you, right? And she's like, I'm not in the mood. And she's like, icy cold, right? But then she's like, I made you your favorite food. It's like, wait, that those two things don't gel. You know what I mean? Like, if you went through the, all this trouble of making this special stew that she, they even say she doesn't like, you would think that she would be kind of more receptive in that situation, right? Just because it's looking like they're like planning for like a romantic dinner, but then she gives him the cold shoulder. So it's like, I think even he realizes like, wait a minute, like a lot of this is not adding up and this whole thing just seems dodgy, especially since... I think she just eats the salad or something. So again, it's like, oh, uh, she's not even going to eat this. So uh, something's awry. Um, and I feel like this was kind of when he really went to the deep dive. And this is when uh, he starts to go over the logs and stuff because he, he he's almost certain now that something is wrong and that Keiko is not the real Keiko. Yeah, the one thing that about that too that was really clever as far as the writing goes is that like, it's his favorite stew, but she she happens to not like it. Right. So that just that just dials up his suspicion even more because it's like, well, if she's not eating it, like what, there must be something up with it. She must have done something to it that she, you know, she doesn't want to have to eat. Right. It just it's so it, it, it's so convenient that that it just fuels his suspicion even more. And I thought that was a really smart thing to do to be like. Yeah, I made your favorite stew. And he's like, yeah, but you don't like the stew. And she's like, oh, well, I guess I'll just have to eat the salad. And he's just like, now, wait a minute. You're up to something. Salad's not a meal, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> unless it's the big unless it's the big salad. Unless it's the big salad. Yeah, exactly. And then it really only depends on who paid for it. <laughs> I just handed her the bag. I, I agree 100%, though. This is, this is excellent everything really it's excellent writing i feel like the acting is really good i feel like the direction is really good i feel like the cutting and the the camera choices are really good like i this could really be stupid actually in, in hindsight <laughs> you, this could be a really stupid episode that everybody hates and everybody makes fun of but um they do such a good job of executing it that i feel like a lot of the shortcomings are just kind of like overlooked or or ignored because uh it's so enjoyable yeah the last the last thing sort of before we get into the second half here i love the time lapse scene where he's listening to the logs i mean this is kind of a classic thing but i think it's used well here because he's really looking for something and he stays up like who knows hours into the middle of the night listening to the station logs and, and i think you mentioned already that some of them were just so pedantic and so boring. It's like there's one of Dax and it's like, yeah, this Federation science ship in uh, the the whatever sector found this new life form. And it seems so interesting. And, and there's, you know, Cisco's going on. About, there, there's even one where Kira's like ranting about the, the idiots in the Bajoran provisional government and all this kind of <laughs> stuff, which is just classic, you know, early DS9 Kira. 
And and he's constantly like, and every time it sort of fades to another log, he shifts. He's in a different spot. He's lying down on the couch. He's sitting with his feet up. He's like, um, you know, he kept shifting positions. And I thought it was a very nice use of that kind. Of, I mean, it's kind of a classic sort of film technique to kind of give the impression that a lot of time has passed. And I thought it was perfect for this situation because you know that he's just digging deep and trying to find something. Yeah, it's really too unfortunate that he didn't just start with like yesterday's logs because then he would have been locked out straight away and it would have saved him having to listen through all that stuff. That's true. Yes, if he'd figured out, if they, if they <laughs> if he'd started with the day before and been locked out, he wouldn't have like, "Oh my god, they're locked me out." Like Exactly. <laughs> so next Odo who was away. Do you remember where he was? I think it was like a security conference or something anyways wherever he was i'd have to go back and watch it again but he returns to the station and like right away like o'brien's like at the airlock waiting for odo and he uh immediately is like odo something strange is going on you know the, the senior staff they're acting all weird i think there's something up like we need to figure it out and of course odo being odo cannot resist a good investigation he's all over it it's like, oh, don't worry, Chief. We'll figure out what's going on. Uh, were you like surprised that he uh, that he uh, turned to Odo as as quickly as he did, or does it make sense because this is what Odo does? If it was like a virus or an alien attack or something, somebody who was away from the station would probably be the best person to to interact with. Um, the only thing that I would say is it's kind of surprising that they didn't like phone ahead to Odo and and to kind of see him already be suspicious when he first gets there i mean i guess it doesn't really matter that much but i think it's kind of a big deal i, I wonder if they maybe should have like put him into the know early on you know that's sort of it was another clever way of making you think that maybe it was just o'brien but you're still not quite sure because odo was didn't seem like he was in on it at that point and i guess if he had just walked off the airlock no one would have had a chance to be like hey odo like we need to not tell O'Brien anything. He's part of some plot. So just keep him at arm's length. But you still don't really know exactly. It's pretty clever, I think. I mean, O'Brien needs he needs to get help somewhere, right? Right. And and that kind of does fit in line with what they did in the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where, you know, you think that you have an ally and then all of a sudden, like, oh, no, now they've turned, right? Like that dread of when he goes into the office and then Odo obviously is acting differently. And now he's like, Oh no, they've gotten to you too. Right. It's kind of the culmination and it's probably the best way to kind of dial it up because at that point, there's really not anywhere else for the story to go. Right. Once everybody's against him, he kind of either has to make the mad rush for it. Otherwise it's kind of unbelievable that they would just let him continue to, to go about mucking with, systems and, and going through files and stuff so i think that it is a good way and i don't i, I can't think of another way of doing it um, without this kind of grim reality that everybody's against him and and that's going to kind of be the the thing that that gets him to flee yeah exactly yeah you need to get that sense of like he has no other choice he has nowhere else to turn and i mean eventually odo is in on it later on and that prompts o'brien to just Gotta get out of here. These people are all out to get me. Wasn't surprising for me that he would go to Odo, though. 
Yeah, a little bit. Other than just, I guess, maybe we're left to kind of believe that maybe he's already gone to like pretty much everyone on the station and everyone's acting weirdly. So that's, I guess, the next best thing, right? Because I think he even mentions at one point that like, you know, we'll go to Starfleet. Starfleet will help us. But then again, it just sounds like a crazy person. He's afraid that that's going to, to, to rouse suspicions. There's another, uh, there's, there's another kind of funny scene where he's in Quarks and uh, Quark uh, sort of alludes to um, unfinished business, right? So he's referring to the racquetball match. There was a previous episode where um, O'Brien and Bashir, like, you know, had this racquetball match and it was Quark, like, sabotaged it because he wanted to, you know, make a bunch of money from, from the bets. And uh, O'Brien like totally overreacts. He's like, "What are you talking about? Unfinished business? Like, what, what, what do you, what do you mean?" And uh, it just shows you the level of, uh, you know, how stressed and how how wound up O'Brien was over this whole thing. I thought it was a pretty clever uh, little scene. Yeah, it's a it's a great way to do a paranoid thriller, right? Where everything is 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 causing you stress and anxiety, and every turn it seems like everybody's against you. And uh, I mean, again, I think that like Quark's not in this really a whole lot, but you know, just that one little scene, it also, again, just maybe alludes to the fact that, you know, is does Quark know? Does he not know? Is he in on it? Is he, is he been replaced? Has he not been replaced? Again, it's all left ambiguous. And, and, you know, sometimes when you leave something ambiguous like this, it, uh, it actually makes for, uh, a better story because then the viewers can kind of fill in the blanks rather than the typical thing that we all do on the internet, which is to just pick apart all the plot holes, right? In this instance, we really don't know until the very, very end. But again, we still don't, we never learn whether Quark knew about it or not. That's true. And I mean, if you think about it, like, would they crew, like, let Quark in on it? I, yeah, I don't probably know. Not. Maybe, maybe not. But, but yeah, it's, it just goes to show you like the level of paranoia that he was at to just like freak out at Odo or not Odo at Quark over some innocuous, you know, comment that he makes about a racquetball match. No, definitely. Yeah. And and I think that this is really, again, uh, you know, Cole Meany really sells a lot of this as well. And again, the acting being bad, you, this would be cheesy and laughable. Right. But I think that that's that's part of why it is so good. Well, and also maybe why they chose O'Brien to be the victim of this, because I mean, I think Cole Meany, and I think even one of the producers even said like he's probably one of you know one of if not our strongest actors, you know. And and you're right, he he <laughs> sold this very well. I mean, he's he he was he was ready to beat the snot out of Quark over some silly comment. <laughs> He is not the first time, and I'm certainly not the last time that Cole Meany has kind of had to play the, uh, you know, the person that's <laughs> getting screwed over and tortured and everything else. So, I mean, he, he's excellent at it, right? He's the victim of his own excellent acting, I suppose. Uh, so then this sort of all culminates in a, in a scene in Ops where Cisco kind of confronts him and I forget exactly how that went down, but they're like, you know, you're going to have to come with us, Chief. And, and he's like, oh, no, you don't. And he runs away. And there's this big chase scene where he's, you know, running through the corridors and he has to, like, overload the force fields or whatever. And he ends up in the in the conduits, which always seems to happen on Star Trek when there's a chase. <laughs> I, I notice quite, quite a lot. I do love that because you've seen that force fields thing a million times. I don't know that we've ever seen this 
version of it. So basically the way that he circumvents the force fields is, is that he has the know-how to turn all of them on. And so basically because all of them are on, it forces them to turn them all off, I guess is, is what we're kind of like left to believe, which again, it was just a brief second, but it's kind of like, Oh, he's such an expert uh, in terms of like knowledge of the station. He knows that, you know, he, they can't get to him if all the force fields are up. And so it actually is uh, a genius way of, of, of getting around that. Yeah. I like that they kind of threw that in there to give us a chance to see like his, you know, expertise with engineering and just how well he knows the station and all the systems and stuff. That was pretty cool. One quick thing. Do you think the DS nine conduits are cooler looking than the Jeffrey's tubes? That's what I was thinking when he sort of ran in there and then ended up like climbing up the ladder and stuff. I was like, which ones are better? What I don't know. It's kind of a hard toss up for me. I feel like the Jeffrey's tubes is so classic and it's definitely a lot more episodes in Jeffrey's tubes than the conduits. But I mean, the conduits definitely make a lot more sense. At least he could stand up in there. Right. So it was, it's definitely more functional, I guess. But they do look pretty cool too. I, I don't, I feel like you don't see them as often. Like really, it's kind of a shame. I guess not as many chase scenes in uh, DS9. Right. <laughs> So that sort of brings us back to the present. So O'Brien's like in back into the present where he's recording his log. Did you notice that he drank like a ton of coffee in this episode? Like it seems like every five seconds he's ordering a coffee. And I, what was it that I wrote down here? Oh, I wrote down he's, he's having a crisis coffee. Yes. And this is, <laughs> it's a weird one because is this the Mandela effect? I have a feeling like at the end of last episode, you had said that you remembered a scene where, uh, he was drinking the coffee over and over again. And then at the very end, Keiko was going to say, and the reason why I knew that it wasn't him was because he was drinking coffee and he never drinks coffee. And then he orders up a coffee and it's like, oh, I, I guess he did like it. I totally remembered that as well. But then that that scene isn't actually in the episode. That's from Tribunal. That's the episode. I actually looked oh. it up because I was I was after I watched this, I was like, that's not I. I it wasn't in here and it's that's the episode where he's like uh framed by the cardassians right and um for committing a crime and and so on and yeah keiko the, the keiko was they were tipped off because keiko was like he's drinking coffee in the afternoon he never drinks coffee in the afternoon but then at the very end of the episode it's like the middle of the afternoon and he comes over and he's got a coffee in his hand she's like since when do you drink coffee in the afternoon he's like i always do <laughs> So, I, and it's just ironic, I guess, because you had mentioned that and then they make a point that he keeps getting coffee, Jamaican blend, extra sweet. And I was like, oh, I was primed up for the, for the line at the end. And then when it didn't happen, I was like, oh, is that like the Mandela effect, right? Like, uh, is that just something we've like inputted into our minds? But apparently not. There you go. It's from the episode Tribunal. So, well, at least they're consistent, right? With his like, you know, obsession with coffee. At least through the second and maybe third seasons. And then he goes to Rack to Gino like everyone else. Or I don't know. I don't actually know if that's true or not. But it wouldn't surprise me because they all just seem to love those Rack to Genos. Rack to Genos, they go down so smooth. So I'm told. But from all my Klingon friends. <laughs> so so anyway, so he, he, there's like this little scene where he kind of, they catch up to him. And he's in orbit of this moon in the Paratus system. And he does this, you know, trick to lose them. And then he's very surprised when the crew beams down to one of the planets. And so he like follows them. And then we get the big sort of, there's a bit of a little standoff where they're like, you know, 
drop your weapons and he's like no put down your weapons and and they're like no don't do don't do anything stupid all you need to do is open that door over there what were you like ex- I, I know you already watched this but what were you like expecting through the door well i mean they did the classic thing where the the paradins also just look like evil like reptile reptile aliens they did this again i think it was like an enterprise or something where like one of the species looked so evil but then they were actually good they just looked menacing and i feel like they do the same thing here this is the only part of the episode that i'm like a little bit cool on and it's 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 in so many movies and tv shows where you know you could just explain it but the person insists on them like, no, look at the door, open the door. You should open the door. It's like, you could just be like, okay, hey, listen, all right, something's come up. It seems like, you know, you've either been cloned or replicated. We're not really 100% sure, but we want to figure it all out. If we like, here, come look in the door. We're going to, we're going to show you or, or, or something, or even back on the station. I almost feel like they could have sat them down and like, okay, listen, this is what's happening. We're noticing that, you know, we got this priority message that, you know, you maybe have been cloned or something. We need to do some tests. Like they could have so easily avoided a lot of this hassle. They could have avoided trouble, like shooting him. <laughs> like shooting him yeah <laughs> like like having to kill him because he wouldn't put down his phaser yeah this ending was like very abrupt and um it's kind of interesting because a lot of the time when we get these abrupt endings like t- the original series is a culprit of this and we've discussed this a number of times you're usually like keeping your eye on the clock because you feel like man i've been sitting here for like 45 minutes like how are they going to wrap this up you don't get that with this. I wasn't looking. I didn't look at the 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 timer or the clock one time, and for it to end this abruptly and this quickly, and it, it was a bit of a it was a bit jarring to me. And that's the one part of the episode that I would say was you know could have you know you would want to be a little bit better. And you're right. They if they just explained it to him, they probably could have. It probably would have taken a little bit more time. Yes, but. It probably would have made a bit more sense than him just like, you know, shooting the guy and then going and opening the door and being like, what's this? It was a really tricky ending. Yeah. I... In their minds, too, they were probably thinking, you know what? We already did the clone thing with Thomas Riker. Now are we going to have another like O'Brien running around? Uh, you know, they had the clone Harry Kim as well. I just wonder if they were like, you know what, this will just be easier if we just kill him off and be done with it. And in one of the rare Star Trek instances, you know how normally we talk about like, wow, like what would be the ramifications of having another O'Brien and dealing with the uh, that situation? I mean, we essentially get that many years later in that episode Similitude. Do you remember that one from Enterprise where they basically have to clone uh, trip Tucker and uh, they basically make he like ages really quickly so that they could like get his organs or something but then they kind of all grow to love him and it's like oh now he's just going to die because we have to save the original trip I mean it's a similar idea right where you've cloned you have a clone situation and you're dealing with the fact that like you can't really have two you can only have one so I, I do like that we eventually revisit this idea of having two, two people and and what that deals with and and how that would look um also an excellent episode by the way but i agree with you 100 percent. They, they they rush job this way too fast and it's just like i think they try to they, they try to throw us a bone with this like tell keiko 
I love her. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't care enough about the O'Brien Keiko love story to really, you know, I think maybe they're trying to show he was so like O'Brien. He was even in love with Keiko, but uh, I don't know. I, I think that this ending is really the only kind of uh, sour note of the episode. Yeah, the other part of it, being so rushed that it was a bit disappointing for me is I, I thought it was actually very interesting. There's a couple little things, but just this sort of plot that the Parada government had to disrupt the talks, you get like a, you know, one minute explanation. And I thought it was actually a pretty interesting plot. The one thing that I thought was very interesting is that the government, like the legitimate government was the one that was doing all this nefarious stuff to try and disrupt the peace talks and made it seem like oh because they've been in this uh, having this like 12 year long civil war and they made it seem like the government was the one sort of egging it on and these rebels were actually the the good guys and the ones doing the the, the good stuff and wanting to end the this conflict and they were the ones that actually ended up foiling it and you know go, having to go rescue the real o'brien i th I thought it was a, an interesting thing that it would have been probably nice to maybe see some of that or or even get a more maybe a little bit more of a a little bit more of an explanation of of what was going on there because I thought it was kind of intriguing at the end when they finally explain it. Yeah, it's kind of a throwaway, really. A lot a lot of the ending is so fast that it, it definitely reeks of uh TOS. Also just the fact that like there's a species out there that can replicate somebody perfectly. And I actually wondered too, you can you can maybe uh speak to this. I didn't see anything online, but I almost wonder if maybe this is kind of like the precursor to the changelings kind of infiltrating and doing uh, nefarious stuff in later seasons, because um, obviously that becomes a huge thing in Deep Space Nine that the the changelings are, uh, you know, they've, they've infiltrated and we don't know who they are and where they are. And this is essentially the same idea. It's just a clone or a replicated person rather than a shapeshifter. But I was like, oh, I wonder if they maybe saw this and was like, that's such a good idea or such an interesting idea that they, they, they reused it later. I have no idea. It's possible. I haven't read anything that would that would suggest that, no. No, me neither. I'm just total, total speculation, but I, it was something that came to my mind. Let's move on to some of the character uh, points in this episode. Now, I wanted to mention uh, one of the guest stars, Rosalind Chow, who was... Uh, we already kind of talked a little bit about Keiko, and I thought the acting was pretty good. Rosalind Chow gets kind of a bad rap at times, I think, for her portrayal of Keiko. And I don't know if it's more as much the acting as it is like just the character in general. But I thought she was really good in this episode, where she sort of plays someone like she she's she knows that she, the person that is sitting across the room from her is not the real O'Brien that she's used to, but she's trying not to tip him off. And I thought she pulled that off pretty well, like as far as the acting goes. I agree. Yeah, I, I never really understood where a lot of the, the Keiko hate uh, came from. I think that you're right in saying that the character falls into, you know, a, a lot of what happened in the 90s, which is, yeah, I mean, essentially like the nag. Is, is that fair to say? Um, you know, in the 90s, it was pretty common to have like the nagging housewife that's always on the case. Um, and she plays that part quite a bit. 
Um, and I think because everybody loves O'Brien so much, it almost just kind of like default makes everyone dislike her. But you can't really argue with this one. I, I, I think that this is, yeah, this is this is really one of her best performances, perhaps. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, the acting, especially in that dinner scene, as well as when they go in for the big kiss uh, at the beginning and, and you kind of see her like kind of squeamishly roll her eyes or what have you. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really good. Um I actually am somebody who doesn't really mind Keiko. I mean, I don't think she's in a whole lot of episodes. Um, and so, I mean, I, I never really understood that. Yeah, man, try to guess how many episodes of Deep Space Nine she is in. Oh, dear. Uh, I'm going to say 17. Ooh, so close. 19 episodes. 19. And two two Next Generation or three? Uh, no, eight episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, boy. Most notably, Disaster, where she gives exactly. birth. Hilariously, exactly. I might add. Yep. <laughs> I mean, we, we can maybe do like a top 10 uh, Rosalind Chow performances at some later date. But for now, let's just agree that this one is definitely one of the best. This one, and do you remember the one where she gets taken over by, I think it was like a Paul Wraith? Yep. That, that was, was another awesome. really good one. Really <laughs> yeah, good, good one. Yeah couple of quick ones here so admiral rollman so there's that one part where o'brien like tries to tries to call the star base and warn them and even admiral and he talks to this uh admiral who is actually in on it as well seemingly uh this was her second appearance she also appeared in uh, past prologue oh nice that's like what the second episode or third episode uh, i think it's the third uh and you mentioned i think maybe off air uh dax is only heard in the in the station log recording and she appears very very briefly in the uh sort of scene where they confront o'brien towards the end i think she was sort of like standing behind oh, okay cisco or off to the side but she she was in it she didn't say anything though so that was uh so oddly enough we get a lot of jake cisco which is unusual for us <laughs> yeah seemingly, really but we did we don't get much uh by the way of jadzia dax and uh, speaking of Jake, uh, he was sitting next to a packlet in one scene on the promenade, which I thought was kind of interesting. I feel like every so often you see the packlets kind of lurking around in the background on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, they probably had raided the the next generation uh, wardrobe, right? Especially after Next Gen <laughs> went off the air, they probably went and grabbed all the costumes just in case. Yeah, I'm sure they all... They were all available to them if they if they needed them. And the last sort of character bit here, this is a very heavy O'Brien episode. And I think he, isn't he in every scene? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we already talked about, you know, Colmini's acting. I thought, he, you know, even though he probably had a very busy week shooting this, I thought he was very good throughout in this episode. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of, um, you know, like O'Brien-based episodes, didn't we start off the season with... Oh, maybe that was last season. I thought, remember there's the one, Honor Among Thieves was at the end of last season, which was another classic, you know, full-on O'Brien episode. So, yeah, I mean, I do kind of like when you get a character-specific episode, especially for this, 
because it just kind of lends itself to uh, kind of a nice conversation about the character specifically. And again, in this one, um, I know it's not the real O'Brien, but I, I think that we, we do kind of learn a couple of things about him, which which is nice. Yeah, and the one sort of thing that I came across from Cole Meany himself is that even though it was a different O'Brien, he tried to play him exactly the way he would expect O'Brien to react given the circumstances, which I thought he did pretty well. Like, like I, you know, having watched this with fairly fresh eyes, I didn't really think that it was anything was wrong with him per se. He seemed he like he acted and and reacted the way you would expect O'Brien, which I thought was very effective at sort of keeping you guessing whether it was him that was, you know, messed up or whether everyone was conspiring against him. So, very well done. I'm uh, segueing nicely into some production notes. Now there was a bit, this was a challenging one just because they stayed with O'Brien the entire time. And the reason they did that is because if you cut away to other characters after he leaves the room and they're talking, it's going to totally blow the lid off everything. Right. So, and the illusion of it too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so now the, the other sort of, byproduct of that or the effect of that is that there was really no b story at all to this it was just strictly o'brien dealing with this perception that everyone's out to get him bit of it's, it's interesting you don't you don't see that very often where there is absolutely no b story it is just strictly the one the one thing sometimes with like a season finale or something or where something major is happening there isn't really the time for it, but yeah, right. For just a regular, you know, kind of one-off episode, it's pretty rare to see where you just have no B storyline at all. Again, I feel like maybe Honor Among Thieves, I felt like there wasn't really a B story. Maybe there was, but um, again, just a little uh, O'Brien on an island episode. Right? Absolutely, yes. He very, very much was on an island here. Uh, an interesting uh, scene. Now we talked about how the the ending was kind of rushed, and I it's interesting that they somehow they were going to include this. But um, there was a scene filmed where O'Brien was singing uh, while the, while they were the, the, he was being chased in the runabout. He's singing the the Minstrel Boy, which is um, referring back to the Next Generation episode called The Wounded, where he was he sang that song with one of his old captains. Uh, but it, this scene had to be cut because of a continuity error. So what happened was they got the runabouts mixed up. Oh. So instead of, so O'Brien was in the Rio Grande and he was being chased by the Mekong. And instead he said something about the Rio Grande was closing on him or something like that. Right. So they got them mixed up, I guess, in the script. And they didn't realize it until it was too late to go back and fix it. So they had to just chop it right out. Yeah, and I mean, they didn't really have a lot of time for stuff like that anyway, so I'm not that upset. But that's kind of a funny, nice little nod back to the old one. Yeah, I, I was a bit... I was very puzzled when I read that because I was like, when would they have fit that in? Yeah, exactly. Like, unless they somehow magically... It would have been right sort of towards the end. And so, yeah, there, it's... But that would have been a, I think that would have been a pretty cool scene to see. Yeah, it'd be a he's pretty like, nice little tie. He's like in the middle of a crisis and he just puts his feet up and just starts belting out, the minstrel boy. I don't remember how <laughs> it goes, which is probably not a bad thing for our listeners. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, so just lastly here, um, this this was an episode that was very well received uh, by the producers and also by some uh, notable fans. So first of all, Michael Piller 
once at one point in time listed this as his favorite DS9 episode. Now I would assume that that was probably partway through the run, but nevertheless, that's still pretty high praise, I think, even if it was, you know, during season three or four. I think that's, yeah. that's pretty, says something. And then the uh, the co-creator of Futurama, Davis X. Cohen, uh, lists this as his favorite episode. Oh, wow. High praise. Pretty interesting, you know, that the, I, I had no idea that the Futurama co-creators were such big fans, but uh, Davis X. Cohen thinks very highly of this episode, so there you Indeed, go. Indeed, yeah. All right, uh, I think we can move on to some uh, the fun part, uh, your, your memorable scenes and your uh, favorite lines. You got one of either or both? For us? I mean, unfortunately, my favorite scene is probably my least favorite. In ter- I'm sorry, the most memorable scene is my least favorite scene in the episode, which, of course, is the big reveal. Um, it's kind of a cheesy thing to use that as my as my pick this week, just because, like, obviously, that's the most important thing. But that being said, it is the thing that always sticks out in my mind. Um, and in terms of a memorable line, I, I might have snagged this one from you because I feel like it's probably... Um, just the, the best ones. I'll do my best Colm Meany. They'd even broken into my personal logs to see what they could find in there. I hope they enjoyed reading the sexy letters to my <laughs> wife. <laughs> okay, I yeah, that, that is good. good. I, I kind of forgot about that, but you're right. That was a good line. All right, what about you, Matt? Uh, for me, I think the most memorable scene is the, the physical. Uh, I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Just the cranky patient and the overeager doctor who is just... De, you know, just de- determined to find something wrong with him. I thought that that back and forth was absolutely hilarious. For favorite line, I'm gonna take one that is was a little bit obscure, but I thought it was pretty funny. So uh, I think I forget what Cisco was talking to him about in his office, O'Brien. But uh, he he had the baseball in his hand, and he goes, "I guess I dropped the ball." Yeah, I thought that was pretty pretty funny. All right, Andrew, uh, why don't you sum this one up for me and uh, give me your final thoughts and rating out of five replicants. I mean, this one is 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 so easy, right? It is a five-star episode with a kind of crummy ending. And, I mean, I kind of hummed and hawed about this because, you know, if it's 45 minutes long, I would say that 43 minutes of it is amazing. And so well written, so well acted. I mean, I don't have anything bad to say about it. But then watching this multiple times, it's kind of like that ending just leaves you feeling a little half-baked. And I mean, it's also another interesting thing is that this is kind of like if it was a one-time watch, you'd probably just love it. Five out of five. But having to go back and watch it knowing the ending and having the, the big reveal be already known kind of loses a little bit of its luster. So I'm pretty happy to go with four replicants out of five. Um, I don't know that this story could ever really kind of become like a five-star classic or my all-time favorite episode just because I don't like the conceit that, you know, this these perfect replicants are never mentioned again and nobody seems to even care that much. It's, it's, it's really kind of glossed over and it's a shame because um, I feel like, you know, m- maybe if it was a changeling, and it was like way early on or something um, that maybe would be with something that they could do and have it work. 
Um, although they end up doing that later with, you know, Gowron, with Bashir, with a whole lot of people. So, I mean, it's four out of five for me, but it's, it is a great, great episode. I do love it. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, the ending was very abrupt and very disappointing and very jarring. But uh, right up to that, um, this this is one that uh, I I don't know if I was ever really toying with five out of five, but it's certainly a four out of five for me as well. Like everything is everything is really good. The there's some really co- solid acting. Um, I thought that the uh, I thought it was a nice uh, use of the personal log to kind of recount what had happened prior. And I thought the mystery was good and the, the, the uncertainty of knowing whether it was O'Brien that was, you know, messed up somehow or whether the crew was under some alien influence or there was some massive conspiracy. I thought sort of bouncing back and forth between them was was really well done. This is like a, a solid four replicants out of five for me. Um, it's a I, I you know, I often use the timer test and I didn't check once. So that's usually, a, you know, a good, pretty good sign of a of a good episode for me. And, and uh, the, yeah, I definitely didn't check it at all. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say uh, four out of five replicants as well. I think I hear the red alert siren, which means it is time to deep draw a new episode for us to review in the next podcast from the Parada cap of episodes. And I will give Andrew one minute to tell me everything he can about that episode. Andrew, what do you think? What do you think here? What are you hoping for? Well, uh, for those of you that have been following along since the very beginning, this is episode number 74, and we're getting very close to the end of what we are calling season three of RTR. And uh, if you guys have been following along this season, you know that we are getting close to like the bottom of the eighth, bottom of the ninth, and I am a little bit behind, so I am feeling like I need kind of a classic episode to get me back into uh, the game because, uh, again, this is actually the rubber season for Matt and I. Matt was the all-time champion in season one, and then I won in season two to everybody's shock. And now we're in season three, and this is the rubber match. We're getting near the end of the game. And, uh, yeah, I'm a little behind here, uh, with a couple of kind of numbskullery, uh, moves by my part. So I really <laughs> could use an episode that I know very well. Okay. Well, I think your wish has come true. We have drawn probably one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek period. Okay. Which means I think you have a very good chance of getting a very good score. Okay. Um, so here we go. You, you ready for this? I'm ready. We are back to the next generation. This episode is from season three. It is episode 15, and the title is Yesterday's Enterprise. Okay, yeah. I think I can do this one. This, this might be the episode that I have actually watched the most out of any of them. Oh, really? I, I think this is, it's got to be very close if it isn't. All right, I got 60 seconds on the clock. Andrew looks ready to go. So, Andrew, your time begins now. All right, the Enterprise comes across a strange anomaly or like a period of space, and we get kind of like a flash cut where everything changes. 
Uh, the Enterprise is now at war. They've got like new uniforms and we even see like Tasha Yar is on the bridge. So we kind of get some, uh, you know, insight that, uh, you know, the Federation has been at war and not only that, but they are losing and uh, they are only kind of like months away from completely collapsing. Uh, this is where like Guinan comes in. She recognizes that something isn't right. Something about her species has allowed her to kind of like identify that like things are off and she knows that things are the, not the way they should be, including the fact that Tasha Yar shouldn't be there, that she should actually be killed. So it turns out that yesterday's Enterprise is actually the Enterprise C that went missing some period of times ago. And so they are able to contact it and then they send Tasha Yar back or she decides to go back because she knows she's going to die and then she ends up being Sela uh, through a series of a variety of scenarios and it changes everything back when she goes back. And your time's are up. Are you sure that was 60 seconds? Because that went really fast. I should have talked way quicker, but uh, I think that I got lots of it there and I am with you, Matt. This has got to be one of the all-time best episodes. Um of next generation of enterprise we could even argue in two weeks time is this one of the best episodes of television i uh i have to admit i haven't actually watched this one in a while so i'm pretty excited to dig into it and uh i think that this might be a uh, proverbial rtr gush fest so you might need to uh yeah, you, you might need to brace yourselves in two weeks' time because it may just be an hour or two of Matt and I just saying how much we love this episode. We might not even need to do any preparation. We don't even need to watch it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we might not need to watch it. Like, I think I could probably... Uh, just hit record and start now. I think I probably could. Uh, <laughs> it might not be the most coherent uh, conversation, but it it might be good. Yeah, well, I mean... I'm I'm definitely excited for uh, two weeks time, but I'm not necessarily that excited. I, I really want to go and check this one out. And I hope that you guys all come back in two weeks time and check it out with us because uh, I can pretty much just tell you right now, this is a five out of five episode. It is an all time great and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to review. It certainly will. Uh, yes. And again, thank you for joining us here on RTR. Go treat yourself to a little yesterday's enterprise. And meet us back here in two weeks' time, and we will give you the goods on yesterday's Enterprise. Bye-bye, everybody. This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs. Loading Sweet Preview Program 4, Beyond Farpoint, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. It is one of Star Trek's best episodes, not just one of Q's best episodes, it's one of Star Trek's best episodes. Definitely. It adds some real interesting depth to not just Picard, but to that relationship between Picard and Q. I think that's the one thing that runs for all these episodes, even weaker ones like Hide and Q and Encounter at Farpoint. The best thing about Q is his relationship with Picard, which is why I'm so glad he's coming back in season two of Picard because mm. Patrick Stewart and John Delancey play off each other so well. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek preview podcast. Anyway, they managed to save the day. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. So after Kirk got beaten up by a bunch by, of kids. By a bunch of kids. They were smacking him with bats and he was like, 
being hit by the car. I remember when he stood up and there was blood coming out of every part of his head. He was bleeding from the ears. I mean, I'm no medical expert, but yeah. I'm fairly sure if you're bleeding from the ears after a blow to the head, you've got to seek some medical attention. Yeah, from the ears, from the back of his head. You're probably having some kind of hemorrhage. I feel like his eyeballs are probably bleeding. Those kids, I mean, I know kids don't listen. I know that. Yeah. First hand, you know that. They really didn't listen. No, this, I mean, this was... It was so frustrating as, this a, was really as a viewer. After the first lot, I would have phased the lot of them. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.